Section 15 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 15. The Child Who Defended Castle Dangerous. 1692. By Thomas G. Marquis. Foremost among the heroines of New France stands Madeleine Verchere, the daughter of a seigneur living about 20 miles from Montreal, on the south side of the St. Lawrence. His seigneury was directly in the way of the Iroquois as they marched against the settlers, and, subject as it was to constant attack, it was called the Castle Dangerous of Canada. This seigneury, like the others, was a large tract of land, partially cleared, on which housed the seigneur and his tenant farmers. For protection, they all resided in the fort with four bastions and a large, strong blockhouse, connected with it by a covered passage. In this blockhouse, the women and children might take refuge while the men in the fort defended them, or, in case of their being driven from the latter, the blockhouse would serve as a place of refuge for all. To the right and left of this fortified post, they cleared tracts of land running along the river, always within a short distance of the stronghold, both by land and water. In case of a surprise, but a few minutes near the lapse before all the men working in the fields could be undercover. Madeleine Verchere was not the first woman who distinguished herself in this fort. Two years before the time of the story, her mother, with three or four men, had nobly defended the place against a numerous party of Iroquois until relieved by a detachment of French troops. By inheritance and family tradition, she seemed born to the heroism she displayed at a moment of deadly peril to herself and others. One sunny morning late in October of 1692, as the farmers were going, by land or by boat, to the little open patches either to clear new fields or to break up the soil with their rude ploughs, the fair young daughter of Signor Vichere, a little maid of fourteen years, came out of the gate of the fort. Accompanied by a servant, she proceeded to the little landing place by the river. She was expecting a visitor. Madame Fontaine, a young Frenchwoman from Paris, had lately joined her husband at the settlement, and since her arrival, Madeleine had enjoyed a few pleasant days of feminine companionship in the lonely Canadian wilds. She had invited her visitor to remain all day with her at the fort, of which she was in charge, her father being in Quebec and her mother on a visit to Montreal. Impatient to meet her friend, she went down to the river to watch for her arrival. As she stood by the broad placid stream, she seemed much out of place in that rude waste. Her delicate, active figure, soft, spiritual face, intelligent forehead, brilliant eyes and well-cut lips, all bespoke gentle breeding. But on closer observation, one could easily see that the fragile young form was sustained by a very strong will. Love your lad, she said to the serving man, as they stood on the little pier. Is that Monsieur Fontaine's boat I see coming down the river? My non, mademoiselle, that is one of the men, going to his farm. I do not think Monsieur Fontaine will be here for some time. Scarcely had he spoken when the report of a gun in the distance arrested their attention. Lover your lad, she exclaimed. I wish you would go to that little hillock and see if you can find out why that gun was fired. The man went as directed, while Madeline anxiously awaited his return. In a few minutes he came rushing down the slope, 
crying out, Run, mademoiselle, the Iroquois, the Iroquois. Turning round, she saw some fifty of the dreaded foe not many yards off. Offering up a hurried prayer, she fled to the fort. The Iroquois hoped to take her alive, but seeing that she was too fleet for them and was likely to escape, they began to fire. Happily, however, their bullets failed to take effect. As soon as she was within hailing distance of the fort, she bravely began to cry out, To arms! To arms! But the inmates were paralysed with fear and did not hear her cries. On reaching the gate, she met two women, loudly lamenting their husbands who had just been killed, and Madeline, knowing that they, too, would be slain if they remained outside, promptly ordered them in and closed the gate against the advancing foe. With the experience gained from her brave father and heroic mother, she at once took command and hastened to look to the defence. On examining the walls, she found some of the palisades thrown down, leaving spaces through which the enemy could make an easy entrance. She at once ordered them to be set up again, with all haste, helping the men to carry them into position herself. Having filled up the breaches, she hurried to the blockhouse, where the ammunition and arms were kept, and found the only two soldiers in the place, hiding, terror-stricken, from the foe. One of them, named La Bonte, was standing near the powder with a lighted match in his hand. Madeline, seeing him, cried out, What are you going to do with that match, La Bonte? Light the powder and blow us all up and save us from the fiendish torture of the Iroquois, said the man suddenly. You are a miserable coward, she cried, and dashing the match to the ground, angrily stamped out the flame. She then ordered La Bonte and his comrade Gachet to leave the blockade and go to the defence of the fort. Inspired by her words and awed by her dauntless bearing, they at once obeyed. Throwing off her bonnet, she put on a hat, and taking out a gun, said to her two brothers, Louis, a boy of twelve, and Alexander, a little fellow of ten, Let us fight to the death. We are fighting for our country and our religion. Remember that our father has taught you that gentlemen are born to shed their blood for the service of God and the king. With these words, the three young warriors went to join the other defenders of the fort. The Iroquois were standing at some distance, parleying as to what would be best to do. They did not know that the fort contained but two soldiers, a serving man, two boys, an old man of eighty, and a number of women and children, and that the commandant was a girl of fourteen. Had they known, they would certainly have rushed upon it and made short work of the inmates. While they were debating what course to follow, Madeline inspired her men with sufficient valour to begin fire from the loopholes, and she and her two brothers did good work with their weapons. Louis and Alexander, though so young, were not inexperienced with firearms, and many a squirrel, partridge, and rabbit had they brought down, but they had never before fired at human beings. However, as they took aim at the savages, their courage did not fail them. They were born soldiers. The only tales that had enlivened their Canadian home were stories of heroic adventure, and their eager young hearts had been longing for such an occasion. Inspired by their daring sister, they made good use of the opportunity. Madeline, knowing that many labourers were in the surrounding fields and forest, ordered the only cannon of the fort to be fired to warn them of the danger. When the Iroquois heard the report of this cannon, and saw the ground torn up by the shower of bullets that fell near them, they gave up the idea of openly taking the stronghold, but determined to try and take it by stealth. Giving up the attack, the yelling demons went rushing through the fields in search of the settlers who might be in hiding, and the watchers in the fort saw not a few of their friends fall before the bloody tomahawks. 
The women were then, some of whose husbands were being thus ruthlessly murdered, began to utter heart-rendering shrieks. Madeline, fearing lest their cries would reach the enemy and lead them to believe the fort but weakly manned, ordered them to stop. She drew a picture of the terrible cruelties the Indians would wreak on them if they should be captured, and the poor woman, paralyzed with fear, ceased their outcries of grief. But very soon a canoe was seen approaching the landing place, which, on closer observation, proved to be the Fontaine family. The warm-hearted girl was filled with alarm as she saw them approaching. If the Iroquois were to observe them, they would fall an easy prey. She tried to devise some way of saving them. At last she determined to send someone out to warn them. Thinking that the Iroquois, seeing anyone boldly leave the gate, would imagine it a ruse to beguile them within range of the muskets, and especially of the much dreaded cannon, and would not come to the attack. She tried to persuade La Bonte and Gachet to go to the river, but they dreaded the scalping knives of the Iroquois too much to undertake such a task, and Madeline decided to go herself. She posted her servant La Violette at the gate and bravely started for the river. The Iroquois were misled, as she expected, and did not molest her, and she succeeded in getting the Fontaine family safely within the fort. All through the bright October day a careful watch was kept, and every time the enemy showed himself a shot followed. An occasional yell of pain told that the fire was not altogether ineffectual. As the sun was setting a sudden change took place in the weather. A cold, piercing northeast wind began to blow, and dark, leaden-hued clouds covered the skies, heralding a snowstorm. Very soon a blinding snow and hailstorm came up and the air grew ominously dark. Madeline, fearing that the Iroquois would try to enter the fort under cover of darkness, prepared with a veteran's foresight to post her sentries. She assembled her little company of six, the two soldiers, Pierre Fontaine, the old man of eighty, and her two brothers, and earnestly addressed them in the encouraging words, God has saved us today from the hands of our enemies, but we must take care not to fall into their snares tonight. As for me, I want you to see that I am not afraid. I will take charge of the fort, with an old man of eighty, and another who never fired a gun, and you, Pierre Fontaine, with La Bonte and Gachet, will go to the blockhouse with our women and children, because that is the strongest place, and, she continued with a look of determination brightening her young face, if I am taken, don't surrender, even if I am cut to pieces and burned before your eyes. The enemy cannot hurt you in the blockhouse if you make the least show of fight. After listening to her inspiring words, the three men went to the blockhouse, and Madeline, with her two manly young brothers and the old man, took up positions on the bastions. Every few minutes, the words, all's well, were passed from fort to blockhouse. As soon as darkness came on, the Iroquois called a council and began planning a night attack on the palisades. In the middle of their consultations, the cry, all's well, was carried to their ears. So often and regularly was this cry repeated that they began to imagine the fort full of watchful soldiers and had not courage enough to try to enter it. About one in the morning the old man on the bastion near the gate cried out, Mademoiselle, I hear something. Madeline left her post at once and went to him. Carefully peering through the darkness she saw some of the cattle which had escaped the marauders. Her friends, Knowing that they would need the poor beasts if the siege lasted for any time, would at once have opened the gates to admit them. But Madeline, with the prudence she had displayed since the arrival of the enemy, would not at first consent. 
Aware of the cunning of the Iroquois, she feared that they might be following the cattle, covered with the skins of slain beasts. However, after carefully observing the movements of the animals, she thought she might let them in without risk. Before opening the gates, she posted her two young brothers with their guns at the entrance, to fire upon anyone who might be concealed among the cattle. Happily, her suspicions were groundless, and the animals came in safely without any disguised Iroquois among them. All once more took up their positions on the towers, and through the rest of the dark, cold, dismal morning, the cheery watchword, All's Well, was carried to the ears of the disappointed and astonished Iroquois. With the rising sun, the hopes of the besieged rose, as they felt that another day might pass without any serious misfortune. Madame Fontaine was the only timid member of the party, and the nearness of the foe so terrified her that she earnestly begged her husband to steal away with her to some other fort. He, however, was so influenced by Madeleine's brave conduct that he declared his intention of remaining in the fort as long as she saw fit to hold out against the Indians. Madeleine replied that she would rather die than give it up to the enemy. She cheered and comforted Madame Fontaine, whom she pitied as being a Parisian woman, and therefore unfamiliar with such perils, and the girl of fourteen soon succeeded in allaying the fears of the terrified woman. All day she went from the bastions to the blockhouse, keeping a careful watch and encouraging all within by her smiling face and cheering words. The two soldiers who had at first proved themselves such cowards were now inspired by their noble little commander's example and aided materially in soothing the fears of the women and children left to their care. For a week the siege continued, and during that time Madeline took but hasty meals and, like the brave little warrior she was, contented herself with brief naps at a table, pillowing her head on her arms folded over her gun so as to be ready for action on the shortest notice. Her two young brothers emulated her in all things, and never once faltered or displayed signs of fear. The Iroquois now and then showed themselves, but never found the French unwatchful, and a hastily discharged musket warned them to keep carefully under cover. But the urgently needed succour was already on its way. A few of the labourers in the fields had managed to escape the foe, and carried to Montreal the sad news of the massacre and of the weak state of the seigneury Vercher. The governor, Monsieur de Calier, dispatched Lieutenant de la Monnerie with 40 men to the scene of the conflict. On the seventh day of the siege, about one in the morning, the boy Alexander heard voices and the splashing of paddles on the river and promptly cried out, Qui vive? Madeleine, on hearing the cry, rose from the table at which he was taking a short sleep and went to the bastion. Her brother told her he had heard what he thought to be voices speaking their language. Madeline, hearing the voices, cried out, Who are you? And the glad news was carried to her ears. We are Frenchmen. It is La Monnerie who comes to bring you help. Madeline, overjoyed by the good tidings, rushed down from the bastion and gladdened the hearts of all within the blockhouse. They need no longer despair. Help was, even now, before the walls. Madeline, after posting a sentry, opened the gates and went down to the river to meet her countrymen. On seeing Monsieur de la Monnerie, she saluted him with the dignity of a soldier and said, Monsieur, I surrender to you my arms. The gallant la Monnerie, smiling, replied, Mademoiselle, they are in good hands. Entering the fort, he examined it and found everything in good order. He at once relieved the worn-out sentinels on the bastions. 
When he learned the story of the siege and the gallant conduct of Madeline, his heart bounded with admiration as he gazed at his heroic little countrywoman and her two boy brothers. Next morning a sally was made on the Iroquois, who now learned the reinforcement. Seeing that they had no chance against the strong French force, they hurriedly made preparations for departure, taking with them about 20 prisoners. Shortly after their departure for their own territory, a band of friendly Indians from Salt St. Louis visited Signori Vichier, and learning of the attack hastened on the trail of the retreating foe, and succeeded in overtaking them and surprising them resting on the shores of Lake Champlain. A brief battle ensued. Many of the Iroquois were slain and the rest put to flight, leaving behind them their prisoners, who joyfully returned to their sorrowing friends. La Monnerie sent an elaborate report of Madeleine's heroism to the governor of Montreal and to her father, who was on duty at Quebec. Monsieur de Vichier obtained leave of absence, and joining his wife in Montreal, they returned to their homes to rejoice over their two brave little sons and their lion-hearted young daughter. This brave girl developed into as brave a woman and appeared as the heroine of another adventure with the Iroquois, when, rifle in hand, she gallantly saved the life of Monsieur de la Parade, who afterward became the husband of his brave preserver. She is still known in Canadian history as the heroine of Castle Dangerous. End of section 15. This recording is in the public domain.